Let's go. You're listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun. Hey, listeners, welcome back to Making Data Simple. I hope everybody is healthy and safe. We're in some crazy, crazy times. I don't know when this will air, but as of right now, it's 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 quarantine city. I'm I'm recording in my office at home, and the guests are. We usually have guests that are remote, but uh, they're at their office at home as well. Uh, but that brings on new challenges. Anyway, um, the great news about being a host of a podcast is that I often get to, as you've if you, as you've heard in the past, I get to pick my favorite guests. I've got another one today. Her name is Kate Nichols. I have worked with Kate for a long time. Yes, she is an IBMer. And Kate, the the unique thing about Kate, she's got a lot of unique things about her. We'll talk about those in a minute. But she helped start this podcast with me. And then she decided to have a kid. And then she had to leave. And now she's back. But uh, she is the reason that this podcast is is here. Kate manages content design. And that includes a ton of different products, but like Cloud Pack for Data, which are, is our microservices architecture that you need to get if you're listening. Uh, it also includes Watson Studio, uh, Watson Machine Learning, so where you build, run, deploy machine learning models, and she does the content uh, for that. So anyway, I am thrilled to have you on and have a chat, Kate. Thank you for being here. How have you been? Hi, Al. Yeah, it's wonderful to speak to you as well. And, uh, you know, as you mentioned, I did go on maternity leave and uh, since come back to work and I did follow the podcast. So you guys have been doing an amazing job and keep putting out such good content. So it's been amazing to see. Did you, Have you really? What's your favorite episode that you can think of right off the bat? From this year, I would say you did an er- one early in the year with Rob Thomas. Yep. Uh, talking about the year and what to expect and some of, you know, some learning that he had that uh, I found pretty insightful. I think Liam also um, recorded one with you, right? He did. He did. That was the yeah. intern episode. The intern episode. That's what it was. Yes. <laughs> and that one was a ton of fun as well. <laughs> it was pretty good. It yeah. was pretty good. We'll have to do another one of those. Uh, now you're at home and you've got two two kids, right? Yes, I have a son who is four named Adrian and a daughter who's one named Sydney. So we are in quarantine. Are they going to bust in at any time now? That is the risk we have today, but I think <laughs> <laughs> I think they're going to be kept occupied. So we'll keep the listeners on their toes. We'll see if they come and join us. That'll be fun. We sh- we'll have yeah. a good time if that happens. Yeah. I'm actually looking forward to that. Before we started the podcast, just before Kate was like warning us, we may have visitors. I said, fine, that's fine. That's what we're going to do today. That's okay. All right. So give us a little bit about your experience, if you would. Uh, everybody knows that you know how to create podcasts, but what, what is your experience? What's your background? And, and what, how, how have you managed your transition to content design where you land today? Sure. Yeah. So um, I actually, speaking of interns, uh, I came into uh, IBM as an intern from, I went to school at the University of Waterloo did my undergrad there and then later my master's. Um, but my roles for the first uh, basically decade that I was at IBM were in executive communications, often Al working with you, which is wonderful. Um, and so in those roles, I learned a lot about how our business runs, um, how we communicate both externally and with um, our amazing team members, 
uh, all the different things that it takes to put on the events that IBM runs. Um, you know, really, I, I kind of look at it now as it gave me such a, a great foundation for what I do today, because I think it gave me a unique perspective on what we offer and why. Um, but a couple of years ago, I had an opportunity to move into content design. And that really was aligned with what I had studied at school, um, which was around professional writing and communication design, and also allowed me to move into a management role, um, which was exciting because I love people, love working together to solve problems, address challenges. And so that was certainly something I wanted to do in my career. Um, so I moved into that role and uh, I'm really enjoying working with that team. We've got a lot of interesting projects that we're driving and uh, some really talented people um, that I get to work with. So I'll share that today. I think we're going to get into a lot of those uh, projects today. Yes, great. You know, Kate, I, I got to give you, I'm going to get, this is a compliment and I, I guess I'm patting myself on the back <laughs> because mm-hmm. when when I started looking at your background, I don't know that I I knew that you had a Bachelor of Arts in professional writing. You, you've, you've got a Master of Arts in, in communications design. You know, I was sitting there thinking, I mean, maybe I knew that, but, you know, where I'm going with this is you have helped me with, you've, you've done a ton around communications. You started this podcast. I mean, it's a perfect fit for content. Um, but I just, I, I think I just recognized how good you were <laughs> at communications. <laughs> I didn't know that, I don't know that I knew that unless I'm just casually forgetting uh, that you had that in your background. I mean, it's just, I mean, you're very well, uh, you, I mean, you're an orator, you communicate very well. And so that you've always helped me. I mean, anything that I've put out of whether it's announcements or, or some of the keynotes I've done, you know, people should know that you were right there. You did most of it. Yeah. And, and I learned a lot from doing that with you. As I said, I think, you know, it was a really interesting role because I saw, you know, the support business, the development process from another side. And now I'm, you know, in a, in a different role, but I'm bringing that experience to it. Um, so I find, you know, working with the content design team, I'm sometimes bringing in a different perspective, but that's what we need, right? We need people who, who bring, you know, the questions that may not have been asked or answered previously. I agree. We're going to dive into that. But could you have believed that when we started this podcast, we'd be at like 500,000 downloads in a year now. It's unbelievable. You know what? I would say when when we had the first few episodes, no, but then we picked up steam. <laughs> it's because I it, stunk. I was terrible. No, no, no. It wasn't that. It was just, you know, it was a wild idea, right? We It was your idea and it was just, you know, different. No one had thought of doing it. And the first few episodes, you know, we were all learning the ropes. But then I feel like even by the time we were maybe 10 episodes in, I know I felt like, okay, I think we're on to something here because this seems to be resonating. So it's been, as I said, wonderful to help it grow and then see it continue um, to grow even bigger than I, you know, imagined it would. You know, and the things, I think it's a testament of, you know what, I got to have to say, when we started this, uh, I, you know, Anything, anytime you do something new, you get a lot of naysayers. You get a lot of people that say, you know, what the hell are you doing? And that's no different here. When we started it, you know, um, a lot of people said, you know, look, that's, that's, I don't know why you're doing that. It's for marketing. You shouldn't do that, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, you, it makes you pause. And uh, I appreciate you sticking with me. We said, to hell with it. We're going to do it anyway. And now those same people that were saying those things are now trying to get on the podcast and yeah. or applauding the podcast. And it's just, it's one of those things where you kind of snicker in the background and go, really? 
after after some of the comments that you made. And uh, anyway, thanks for sticking with me because otherwise we wouldn't be where we are today. Enough enough about us. The listeners are going to say, "What the heck? This is like." <laughs> <laughs> so we'll move on. And by the way, I want to talk a little bit about Property Brothers later. So if the, the listeners are, are are listening, uh this is something unique to 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 Kate. So wait till the end and we'll hit that. Uh but first, let's jump right into content design. Um as we're talking about writing, communications, what was your motivation to switch to content design? And do you did you find that as an easy move? Was it a natural transition given your background or no? Yeah, so in terms of motivation, I think, you know, one of the things I touched on was moving into the management role, you know, in an area that I'm passionate about. So it was a, you know, it, it's hard. I think anytime you make a career change or, you know, move teams, it's hard. I, I, the team I was working with before, I love them and I'm still, you know, in touch with them. So that's always a challenge. But um, I was excited to do something different. And I was excited to have different challenges. In that sense, it was easy because I was able to bring, I think, a kind of renewed energy to to what I was doing day to day. I think the challenge that content designers face is there is just a ton of information that we have to consume, understand, and then be able to explain uh, to our clients. And not only that, we have to deliver it in you know many different ways and um, in, for you know a huge variety of products when we talk about the data and AI portfolio. So there's just so much going on that that I think that is what brought the challenge. So let me ask you this. So so for our listeners, uh, here's my simple question. I want you to take this the wrong way, but I want you to tell us what is content design? How do you define it? And why should anybody care? Uh, and one reason I ask that is because a lot of people think content, oh, you know, look, but then when it doesn't work, or when it's not there, they go absolutely crazy. They call it urgent. They call it critical. Uh, they escalate. You got to get that right because it's around usability. But I'm not going to give the answer for you. What is content <laughs> design? How do you define it? Okay. So I would say, you know, content design is the words that you encounter when you're using a product. So that can include and does include when you are working within a product, the words or experience that you have on the interface itself. Uh, it can include the documentation that you might consult if you have a problem. It could include videos or tutorials that you access to get deeper and learn more about the product or, again, to solve a problem. Um, it could be what is feeding your chatbot when you go and have an issue. So content is really a layer of uh, information that we try to provide to make the product more usable, accessible, and ultimately more enjoyable for our clients. I think a lot of people look at content design and they're thinking documentation. Yeah. And a lot of times that can't be farther from the truth. Yes? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, documentation is the core, I think, and, and remains the core. But that that core of information allows us to build a lot of really interesting solutions. The, the other thing, and, and I'd like you to expand upon this. The, yeah. the reason you guys have excited me or excited me when I ran content design, uh, first of all, we called it cognitive content design at one point or another. Mm -hmm. And the the path that, that we were on and are on is is let's see if I can get this right, but UI embedded content, if you will, 
interactive self-help within our, our products. We wanted to crowdsource some of the help needed that comes along with our products. Yep. And then we want to generate AI content on the back end that makes its way back to the front end. I don't know. Hopefully everybody understood that. Could you maybe, you, well, you're better communications, obviously, than <laughs> I am. So could you better communicate that that strategy? Because I think it's a fantastic strategy. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think one of the, the ways that I approach it and I think about it is um, the, the, you know, what I said is the core, which is the the documentation, you know, for example, in IBM, we have the Knowledge Center or IBM Cloud Docs, depending on your product. Um, but that contains, you know, a huge, vast collection of information about a product. So you could access that through the Knowledge Center or for Cloud Docs. But what we're also doing is is using that data in, in really interesting ways to feed other solutions. So, for example, um, a chatbot uh, can actually pull in that data and then you can ask a question. And so instead of you know, searching a knowledge base, you can find that answer through a chatbot. bot. Um, another solution that we're working on uh, is what we're calling in-app contextual content. So that by in-app, what we mean is bringing that product, that knowledge base into the product itself, and then allowing our clients to access it without having a different experience. Um, the other piece of that is being proactive with it as opposed to reactive. So what we're doing is instrumenting the products in a way that they can, that they know and, uh, and essentially tell us what the, you know, what the client is doing. And so the content that we offer again within the product is relevant to that specific area of the product. So if you're, for example, building a model in cloud pack for data, we're giving you information about how to build models. We're not, you know, just offering the, you know, the getting started pain where we're knowing what you're doing and trying to give you the information that will make you even more successful. Um, so I think that's another way that we're, you know, again, building on that core, but trying to offer those those deeper, richer, more intuitive experiences. How much does the new world of content design surround instrumentation within the product itself? Well, it, you know, it, it is important because if we talk about something like the context aware example that we just mentioned, um, we can only serve up the content relevant to where you are in the product if the product is essentially, you know, letting us know where the client is. So there has to be instrumentation part of the development process in order to build this out. And we have, you know, we work with amazing development teams, but we also have some really skilled people in the content design team who've gotten involved to uh, do some of this instrumentation and uh, you know move these solutions along so it's it's really like a, a partnership i would say between development and content design you know as well as the core design teams and offering management when we are you know offering these kind of solutions in our products where, where to that point where does content reside and uh, the framework of my question is 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 it closer to development is it closer to doc yeah. or is it closer to design? Yeah, good question. And I would say that can vary a little bit product by product, but um, within our organization, we've got this concept that we call four in a box. And so what we mean by that is that for every product, there should be you know four teams essentially represented in the, in the box, that being you know design, development, offering management, and content design. And so 
when you get when you bring all four of those perspectives together, I think is when you're going to build a really, really exceptional product. Um, in some cases, you know, we may have more of a need to work with design, right? Because that's the phase of the product uh, development that we're in. Or, you know, we may be working more with offering management for a very early stage. So those four um, teams are critical. And then how much we work with each one varies as we move through the development process, I'd say. Do you, each one of those four in a box have an equal seat at the table? Um, that's what we're working towards. I would say not always at this point to be, you know, very candid. I think that um, we're working towards that and we are getting there. But historically, I would say that's been one of the challenges for content design. Why do you think that challenge exists? I think sometimes, you know, if you look at traditional content, um, if we're not delivering something that's within the product itself, then sometimes it can be easy to not, you know, not have it be part of that conversation or not, you know, not not for anyone's um, intentionally leaving it out, but just because, you know, it's not always inherently part of the development process, right? Um, And so, you know, that has been a challenge and we're making, as I said, a lot of progress on that. We're included in in conversations really early. We can add our expertise, things, I mentioned things like um, the UI design reviews, you know, content is part of it. And we can provide really, really valuable feedback from essentially the very early stages of designing and um, creating the first views of the product through design. Well, I think that the, I think you no. look, we're looking for honesty here, first of all. Yeah. But I think when you're, um, you're in a very, a culture of valuing deep technical contribution, a lot of times it slants in that direction. But one thing I would give IBM over the last five years, I would say there has been a huge move towards design, uh, and that and that gives a you know immediately gives a, a high seat at the table uh, for content because that's part of that design, the product design. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how good your tech is, if clients can't get it to it simply, intuitively, you're going to fail. Yeah, and I think we've 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 essentially embrace that. And that's why we're seeing the, uh, the motivation to really promote things like content design, et cetera. What do you say when, when somebody, and I know you've heard this before, when somebody comes and says, Hey, look, Kate, all good. And I'm sure there's people out there listening, saying this in their head too, all good. But if the product is just as intuitive as we can make it, you don't need content. You're good. You don't need it. The product does it for you. What do you say when somebody says that? I would say, if you really have a product like that, content has already been involved. Content design has already been there. If you're, if you know, if someone's using a product and they're saying it just works so, so perfectly, so easily, um, I have no need to reference anything. Then, I don't think there's any way to get to that point without having content design as part of it. That's that's actually a great answer. So I think those people are thinking content of an old traditional legacy style where it's more like manuals after the fact. Yeah, You're saying, look, content done right is in the build process. It's, 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 it's done from step one. Yeah. It's built into the product. That's the only reason why they would ever have an intuitive product. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, there's, we've had many examples and our, as you said, IBM design is, is amazing and they create, you know, fantastic, UIs that we get to look at, 
But there's definitely been times where, where we've been able to come in, you know, specifically focused on on the the wording, but we're able to provide even a deeper level suggestion than that. Because really, it doesn't always make sense, you know, intuitively, but we want to write fewer words. That's what we want to do. Uh, we want those intuitive UIs such that we don't need a lengthy explanation of what someone needs to do in order to um, you know, get what they need to get done. And so if we are providing a suggestion and we say, you know what, this is just too hard to describe, you know, we're trying our best, but it's, it's just not working. Then we can go to that next level and say, well, maybe there's even more that can be done. And then that goes to the partnership with design to say, okay, how can we rework this? And so there's been many examples where we've had that kind of influence as well. So for anybody out there that's listening and say, why would Al have content on the podcast? I think you just nailed it. <laughs> if you don't have content in your product, you don't have a product. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that's why you're here. So how do you define success then though? What's the definition of success in, in content design? That's a very good question. So I think, you know, we define success often in similar ways to how the product itself is successful. Um, we look at NPS, you know, net promoter score and the feedback that's given. And, you know, with many of our products, we get the specific content feedback uh, sent to us so we can make changes and improve. Um, but we're successful when the product is successful and, you know, the product needs content to be successful, as you just said. So there's certainly that measure. Um, we, I, one of the projects I'm actually working on right now for uh, Cloud Pack for Data is trying to develop a, a content specific scorecard. And when I say, you know, content in this context, what I'm meaning is not just the technical documentation, but all of the different things that are created by, you know, for example, there's, there's marketing creates content, there's learning resources, there's the content that, you know, the people that I work with uh, create, and then there's, you know, several other people and teams generating things. And um, our goal uh, that we're trying to drive is a cohesive experience so that, you know, someone accessing, you know, any one of these various types of material would feel like they're reading from the same book. You know, it's not written by multiple different authors. It's coming as a cohesive package. And so um, there's other ways that I'm I'm kind of challenging myself right now to try and figure out um, how do we see the success or failure of that when you look even more broadly from the technical content, but into the whole, you know, the product as a whole. How long have you been in content design now? Uh, it was tw 2017, actually, that I moved in to, uh, to the org. But then I was, as you mentioned, I was gone for one year on maternity leave. Well, you got the strategy figured out. I like it. <laughs> oh, no, I was going to say, I just want to make sure, I, you know, it's not just me. Um, my manager, High Nutran, and fellow managers and leads and, you know, the whole organization is part of this. I'm just here representing the team. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I fully, fully respect that. And it's just like you, Kate, to make sure everybody gets their uh, share of recognition. Uh, good for you. <laughs> So do you take a lot of what you gain, what the knowledge you gain and push it back into the product for optimization? Do you end up influencing feature and function? Uh, I think we do. So for example, um, just today I had a meeting with a, one of our product teams with, you know, with my colleagues and we are trying to build out the uh, idea of this context aware content that's available within the product. And so we're having those early discussions and saying, you know, this is what we've learned from doing this in other areas. We think it would be very beneficial for this product. Here's how we plan to build it. 
here's why we think we should build it. And then we can move forward from there. And so we're always learning and, you know, what we, what we build is always, you know, unique for a certain scenario, but we're looking for the way we can then let that, you know, jumpstart us onto our next project. Um, as you know, anyone who's in a development process would know there's a lot of competition for what goes into every release in a development cycle. And so we have to make the case that, you know, content is important enough and needed enough and valued enough that it should be part of, you know, a release of these products. And so that's where we, you know, that's where we're headed. And, you know, sometimes we have success, other times we have to wait or refine our plans, but um, that's how we kind of continually push forward. Any examples of how we're using our own cooking around data and AI to inform or drive content design? Uh, so, you know, one, it's um, actually a little bit outside of my team, but but someone who I've been learning, learning a lot from is the um, content design manager for Cognos Analytics, Jay Shaw. So he's actually built this, you know, what I've been talking about, this in-app um, content. He, he's built that out with his team over a number of years. And the solution that they've got, you know, it's really awesome. I'll see if I can get a link to... Um, to some information about it that maybe you could put in the show notes for your audience. Fantastic. Uh, but yeah, he, you know, that team has really, I think built like a best in class solution. Um, we've worked on this in a few different ways, um, you know, over the years trying to, trying to bring content into the products. But I think what they've built is, is a really great example. And so that's what we're now moving forward with. Very good. Hey, look, is there anything in content design that we did not hit on that we missed that you want to make mention of? Um, you know, I like I said, I, I think that um, it's changing a lot. I think some people have a perception that content designers are not not technical or not, you know, part of that technical team. And, you know, I would definitely counter that. I think our team members are incredibly, you know, deeply uh, technically aware. And a lot of them have deep technical skills as well. And so it's a it's a really challenging, you know, interesting and fun area to work in. And I think it's, as I said, completely, you know, important to the success of every product that we have. And so that's what keeps us, you know, that's our why. You, you've you often challenged me, you know, what's your why? <laughs> but that's part of it for us, right? That's why we keep, yes. you know, going every day and, um, and working and delivering, you know, new ways for people to access this information. So, so Kate, what I have to say that um, what I have learned on content design and you've helped teach me is that uh, to your last point, a lot of these folks in content are very technical mm -hmm. and, and amazingly enough, they know more of the product sometimes than the developer. And you'd say, well, how can that be the case? It's because they are looking at the product holistically and working with design and while a developer may be in a certain area of the code. So to your point, um, a lot of these content folks uh, know the product end to end and, um, you know, look, they're very technical. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, so a couple of things. I want to pivot here and talk a little bit about Kate, if you're okay. Sure. Just to end, sure. you, you, you pause, you give me a, a sigh there. No, no, no. <laughs> I, said, I said, sure, let's do it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. First thing is, um, and I'll, I'll transition, but uh, I know you do a lot around IBM STEM for girls in the Toronto lab. Uh, how did you get involved and what kind of offerings does IBM STEM for girls have? 
So STEM, uh, IBM STEM for Girls, it's a kind of a mission that's been adopted by IBM Canada. I guess that's one thing we haven't mentioned yet is that I am a Canadian IBMer. Um, yes. And uh, we won't hold that against yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's supposed to be a good thing. Uh, yeah, I know. I feel, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it's across our whole Canada lab, which spans, you know, the whole country. But um, it's it's kind of a, a mandate that we had to offer STEM programming. So um, science, technology, engineering, math uh, to young students, specifically girls. Um, research shows that often girls pivot away from math, science, and technology around grades six and seven. Uh, by the time they hit grade eight, they've, they may have, you know, either changed courses or don't, you know, believe that they can anymore in terms of achieving those subjects. So our goal is to kind of reach them before that point and make sure that they're exposed and have successful and fun experiences with technology. Um, so I've been involved with it for, I'd say, over 10 years. I, I've lost, you know, exact count, but it's definitely been over 10 years and in various roles. But um, over the last few years, I've been working with um, my colleague, Lindsay Martin, and we um, lead the work that we do at the, at the Toronto site in the Canada Lab. Um, so our biggest thing that we offer is a week-long camp that we run every year in July or August. We bring in 25, though we're actually planning to grow that to 50 this year, uh, students, and we give them a week-long uh, education in, in STEM. Uh, so this year we're planning to do it like a hackathon. So they'll do design thinking exercise, they'll do the actual coding in Python, um, and then they'll pre present their uh, solutions at the end of the camp. So we're really hoping with the you know current uh, state of the world right now that we will still be able to offer that this year, but um, right now we're still planning for it. Nice. Well, I know you spend a lot of time with it and donate a lot of your time, it, particularly when you got two kids at home that are trying to grab your time. So yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it, it's appreciated. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about Kate. Um, as, um, as you know, you, look, you're, you're a people manager. Any tips, hints, tips you can share as you work from home in this crazy environment that we have? And I know you, like you, you said to, to start, you've got two little ones running around. How are you able to divide and conquer your time? Yeah, so two, there's two things to that question. So in terms of dividing and conquering time, I think, you know, my husband and I have been um, sharing the childcare and the working responsibilities. So we've been basically, you know, splitting the work day and then we both work in the evenings and a bit on the weekends in order to get things done. So that's, you know, been essential. Otherwise, I would not. Because be the kids are at home, right? I they're mean, at they, home. Because they're, of, their schools yes. are closed and there's no real option for other childcare because, you know, we're being encouraged not to really um, you know, have other people in the home right now, um, just with the COVID-19 uh, situation. And so, yeah, they're here and, and, you know, they're one and four. So they're not at an age where they entertain themselves. Uh, specifically, my daughter actually started walking uh, during this time when we've been isolating at home, um, which I felt was a big silver lining because had she, had that not happened, she would have done first steps at daycare but instead she was here and we all got to see them. So that was really nice. Um, but anyone who's had, you know, a child who's first walking knows that they have to be, you know, 
you have to watch them all the time because they're falling everywhere. <laughs> um, yes. So it's hands-on, you know, it's hands-on um, when you're with them. And then, you know, at work. So are you doing homeschooling or anything? Is your husband doing homeschooling? So it's funny you say that too, because I started this idea to say, okay, we're going to do this homeschooling idea and we'll make a schedule. And then that went out the window within a couple of days. Uh, <laughs> and then, you know, I saw something shared on one of the social media platforms that said, you know, all life is learning. Just enjoy, have fun, bake, spend time together, you know, do projects, get outside as much as you can. And so I've kind of taken that philosophy um, since, since that point. So we are doing activities like, you know, we did crafts today and baking and um, got outside in our backyard. Um, but we're not really, we don't have subjects or specific goals. I mean, my children are also very young. So I know that if they were a bit older, I might take a different approach. So do you, you split, do you, you split time between the day your, your husband, like he'll take half a day and you take the other half. Yeah. We're kind of doing like an eight to six. One of us works eight to one. One of us, the other works one to six. And then, um, we're being flexible. You know, there's been occasions when we have to vary that, but that's sort of how we're, we're trying to work it. Makes sense. Yeah. You know, I have to say that the interesting thing about this, I mean, Look, I never want to say what we're going through is good because there's a lot of people that are struggling with health health, and I'm empathetic about that. But when I walk outside in the neighborhood now, there are more kids outside playing than I can ever yeah. remember. Yeah. It's amazing. It's like, it, it feels like when I'm, I was a kid, when I was a kid, you didn't have year round sports. Now it's like everybody has to be planned. You got to be in, you know, formal baseball, formal football. It's year round. Yeah. These kids are outside playing. They're playing all kinds of different games. I mean, it's like crowded outside. Now. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Yeah. I was saying that actually to, to my husband, I saying uh, one of the lasting effects of this for us might be that we prefer having more unscheduled time because, you know, when you, when you're normally going, you know, dropping off to daycare, getting to work, getting home, getting dinner on the table and then activities and then weekends are busy. You don't have a lot of time where you're just unscheduled, but it's, it's actually very nice in a way to have, (laughs) you know, under different circumstances, um, having that kind of flexibility is really, really nice for our family. Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of changes in families. I worry a little bit about the travel industry because I think a lot of these companies are going to find out that a lot, a lot of uh, work can actually be done at home where it wasn't before. But we'll see. Sure. We'll see. I, I do think it's going to have a lasting effect in many different areas. Hey, talk to us about Property Brothers. This is, you know, I think it was a few years back now. You're still in the same house. Well, why don't you tell... I, I thought that was always a setup show, but then we talked to I talked to you and said, No, I've been on I've been on Property Brothers and I actually watched the episode. Yeah. It was a very yeah. good episode, by the way. So so tell us a little bit about that. I'm sure the the listeners will have an interest to in how you got involved and in, in what Property Brothers really did and what they didn't. Yeah, yeah, sure. So it was actually now uh, quite a while ago. It was back in twenty twelve when we did the show. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I know. I know, it's been a while. <laughs> um, but but yeah, so we, we live in uh, sort of downtown, but East End Toronto, and the Property Brothers happen to be working in this area. Um, I think they don't really work here so much now. I think they are more in the States, but um, it just worked out that we were looking when they were, um, they had an ad actually on Facebook that they were looking for people to work with. And 
I just applied assuming it would never happen and lo and behold it did so yeah we we ended up buying a house from a woman named Doris who had been in the house almost 70 years and it was a lovely house but it needed some updates and so they they did the main floor and then since then we've done all the rest of it either ourselves or we've you know hired other people to help us do the rest of it now how how often did you see the property brothers the real property brothers we saw them i'd say it was like seven or eight times probably total oh really that's yeah. more than i'd expect yeah it was you know they like it would be on a schedule of of when you know when we were seeing them or doing you know whatever scene with them but um, they were there and I have to say they were extremely nice and, and knowledgeable. They, I, I think they are both master uh, carpenters or I forget the exact qualifications, but they both do have, you know, a lot of skill in the, uh, in the real estate and the, uh, you know, home renovation area. So they're super busy. They can't do all the work themselves, but they, they know what they're doing. You know, your family's gotten bigger. Yep. Are you, you know, you're still in the house, obviously, but now are you thinking about, uh, you've all done all this work in the house, Yeah. but are you considering other other locations? Or are you saying, no, no, this house is going to be with us forever? Well, you know what? In our, in our ideal scenario, we will never sell this house uh, until may, maybe, well, one day we would, but not anytime soon. Um, but if we, if we decide to move to a different house, we would like to keep this house and, and rent it to another family. Um, but that, you know, that's kind of our dream scenario. I don't know if that will be what happens, but that's sort of our plan because it's very good location, beautiful home. You know, we, we love it. We would hate to see it go. Um, so if, if we kind of outgrow it, that's what we're thinking we would do. All right. A couple more questions, and then a quick game. Uh, I just want to get to know you a little bit better. What's your favorite food? Favorite food? Oh, good question. Uh, mint chocolate, specifically mint. Mint? Mint chocolate. Mint chocolate. Yeah. So you're going for ice cream? I do like mint chocolate chip ice cream, but any kind of mint chocolate, I will take it. Nice. All right. Last gift you gave somebody. Ooh, what did I give them? Oh, we gave our, actually, my we gave our neighbor tulips last week. My son picked them out. And we dropped off tulips to our neighbor. There you go. Answer, yeah. <laughs> what was Kate like in high school? Were you 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 were were you the partier that has settled down, or were you you kind of the nerd that got smart and and made it made it big like you are now? Um. Well, I'll tell you in my in my uh, yearbook, I was voted nicest, so that was that was good. So I would say I was pretty friendly with a lot of people. Uh, not the coolest, but you know, I went I went to some parties for sure. You're the coolest now. That's 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 what I tell everybody now. You had three years, I have like ninety seven. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. All right, fair enough. Your number one role model not related to you. Number one role model not related. Ooh. You you know how I do these. I podcasts. do know. I do know. And I did try to think ahead of what book I'm reading. <laughs> It's harder than you think, isn't it? I know. Um, someone not related to me. Let me think. I, You know, I would say I have a group of friends who I went to university with and lived with. Um, all, you know, happen to be women around my age. And they are all 
successful in their careers, you know, doing really interesting things. A lot of them have gone back to do masters and PhDs and, um, you know, they collectively might be, they're definitely role models for me. They keep me, keep me motivated, keep me grounded, keep me, you know, in touch with what's important. Well, they say you can judge what kind of person you are by the folks that you surround yourself with. So there you go. Yeah, And we're all distant uh, from each other now. So we use technology for this kind of communication. So that's kind of neat too. All right, here we go. Lightning round. It's, it's this or that. Okay. Would you rather, whatever you want to call it. You, you probably have heard this if you listen to the podcast. Yeah. I'm going I'm to yeah. run through these quick. You can give one statement, but we'll go quick. Canada or the U.S.? Canada, 100%. <laughs> okay, I'll let you have that one. A work from home or a work in the office? Work in the office. Write or design? Write. Ontario or Toronto? Mm, Toronto. Ottawa Lab or the Toronto Lab? That's an easy one. Toronto Lab. <laughs> yes, I'm, no, Ottawa is uh, very nice too. Uh, <laughs> ski or snowboard? I'm a skier. Your skier. I, I don't even know the, 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 I don't know if I can pronounce this. This is what the producers gave me. Butter tart or, or poutine. Okay. I don't, yeah. So those are two Canadian foods. So a butter tart is a pastry that is filled with a filling that's like brown sugar. And uh, I don't exactly know everything that goes into it, but it's sort of a sweet, could have raisins or pecans in it. And then a poutine is French fries with gravy and cheese on top. Oh, I know which one I'm going with. <laughs> I'm going to go poutine. All right. Yeah. That's probably the, uh, neither of them are healthy, I got to believe, no. but poutine's probably worse. No, most of our Canadian like traditional foods are not the healthiest, but they're very tasty. There you go. That's yeah. that's life. That's that You just described life in, in a short statement. <laughs> All right. Watson Studio or Watson ML? Ooh, they're very tied together, but I'll go with Watson Studio. Hybrid cloud or native cloud? Hybrid. People manager or project manager? People. All right, I knew you'd say people. <laughs> I could have got that for you. Hey, uh, I'm out. Of, I'm out of questions. Okay. Thank you so much for being on the podcast, Kate. You are the reason we're we're here today. I, I greatly appreciate it. I'm indebted to you helping me get this thing started. In fact, more than help. I mean, you you did all the hard work. I appreciate it. Oh, well, no problem. And uh, it's awesome to be on as a guest. And I know, you know, this will continue to be successful. And I'm always happy to jump in and help anytime you need it. I know you. I know you are. Well, tell Hainu and the team, I appreciate them. I miss them. Uh, they're doing great work. You're doing great work around content. Uh, and uh, I fully expect that it's only going to get better. Thanks, Al. And it was great chatting with you. Thank you. And for the listeners, as always, we'll see you on the podcast. Let us know how we're doing. Al Martin talks data at gmail.com. Talk to you next time. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Making Data Simple podcast, where we make data fun. Be sure to visit ibmbigdatahub.com forward slash podcasts to access the show notes and uncover even more great episodes. Remember, the views expressed here are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily represent the views of IBM. Until next time, let's go over and out.